from Tom Tech and Lo-Fi Arts. This is Story Hacker with an XR at the end. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. Hey, hello, welcome to episode three of Story Hacker with an XR at the end. Our podcast about all things theatre and storytelling and also immersive technology, you know, like VR and AR, virtual reality and augmented reality. <laughs> all the realities. All the various realities except real reality. I'm Chris. And I'm James. Hello, James. How are you? Oh, good. And yourself? Yeah, very cheerful today. We're recording this mid-Brighton Digital Festival and uh, there's so much stuff going on all over the city, but everyone's a bit full of wine and a bit full of digital in the city at the moment. It's good. It's a healthy mix. It's also been a very virtual reality heavy Brighton Digital Festival, hasn't it? More than more than previous years. It's everywhere. I mean, we've been doing this now at the Old Market for four years, but it's great to see it popping up at places like the Attenborough Centre and Lighthouse across the city and all sorts of little bits here and there. It's kind of your fault. <laughs> it feels like uh, yeah. it's your fault. That's what this podcast's around. Your stuff's yeah. still the best. Definitely. That's not true, uh, <laughs> but we'll see where it goes. <laughs> On I, with the episode. I'm allowed to say that. You can't say that. On with the episode, Chris. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. You met with uh, Sam Watts uh, this week. I did. He's lovely. He's a really nice guy. So Sam is official title director of immersive technology at an amazing company based here in this fine city of Brighton called Make Real. Sam's an old friend of Tom's. We've been involved with him for since we started messing around with VR. Make Real, one of the biggest and most interesting immersive companies working or studios working in the city. We worked together on an annual showcase event we called VR Lab, which brings together about 30 different things from all over the city. Uh, this year's one's coming up, not by the time you listen to this episode, so check out for 2019's edition. <laughs> when it comes out. Uh, we work with them on that, but also behind the scenes we're working with them to create a new multi-user VR-led theatre show that I can't really talk about yet because it's really in its infancy, but it's amazing for us as a theatre and for theatre-type people to get access to a team of people and intelligence around this immersive stuff with an international reputation. If you are a player of VR, you would have come across a couple of his titles that have been out. Um, most recently, Loco Dojo, which is on the Oculus Store and is always in the top 20 is this ridiculous party game where Brian Blessed hosts and guides you through beating up pigs and throwing <laughs> things at walls and things like that. Yeah, so there's, there's really good stuff. How was your chat with him? Yeah, he invited me up to his studio so I got a look around as well, which was really exciting. And there's always kind of really interesting cutting edge stuff going on there, both some bits in gaming and then in a way more interestingly, the bits that aren't gaming that are more either kind of commercial use, virtual reality, or just kind of showcase stuff. That was really interesting. So here I am, this is me talking to Sam Watts. Here's Sam Watts. You came out of gaming, didn't you? Yeah, well I started in education, went into gaming, came back into this kind of simulation training that yeah. has gamified elements. Well, uh, so you were in education before you were in gaming? Yeah. Oh, that's a great move to have made. Yeah, that yeah. was a nice escape Yeah. Um, at the time now that we're working with a lot of the same companies who've sprung up from the sort of early um well not demise because epic turned into leo which still exists but lots of people worked at epic and then went on to form kineo or switched over to brightwave or went on and became Lumes and yeah so it's one of those companies that becomes a feeding ground for other yeah yeah at what point did you first get interested specifically in 3d and, and VR early on um well I mean I was interested in VR from the days of 
um, you know, very early, sort of like the 90s when they had the Trocadero Center and the virtuality machines. Um, and I had a first taste of what I call lowercase VR as opposed to what we know today with the headsets as uppercase VR. Um, the virtual environment stuff with a cave system at Salford Uni as part of my degree in like 97, something like that. There's a whole range of what could be considered virtual reality or mixed reality or even augmented reality and it's just a case of knowing the difference between a virtual environment but some people will call that a virtual world or virtual reality but it's not really because it's you're just looking at a big screen whereas when you're fully immersed in a VR headset then that is where all the magic starts happening with the immersion and mostly you know it's a short sharp experience that gives you the ability to do something you wouldn't normally be able to do unless you could travel anywhere you had a lot of money and had a lot of time yeah um so you can do be go wherever whoever ex do ever etc from the comfort of your own home or lounge or a vr arcade in a pub or something like that so but yeah it was the 2000 13 when we got the first development kit for the Oculus Rift from the Kickstarter that really kicked off this current wave um, because military and NASA were still working on it since the 90s but very expensive headsets with better in some ways worse in other ways technical capabilities but you know rather than paying 25 grand for a headset now you're paying a few hundred dollars the capabilities are much higher because of the other advances in computing power and 3D engines and democratisation of content creation and that kind of thing. With All this other stuff that had just gone along anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like the world was ready for it. The, the gaming world was ready for it, even maybe the, the storytelling world. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of emphasis on the gaming side and the original push was very much gaming. I understand why, but you know, it made it very difficult to talk about the technology to non-gaming people because if they had seen or heard about it they'd seen it being talked about in a gaming perspective and I was like well why would we want this gaming technology you know it's just for playing VR games it's like well no because there's all these other things we can do we use the games engine to create the content but it doesn't have to be games specifically it's still training simulation storytelling immersion interactivity it's just it uses a gaming engine that happens to do all these other things as well. Would you say part of your remit is to just get adults into it? Is that yeah, what you're saying, yeah. basically? Uh, I mean, last year we did 41 events. Wow. Uh, and a lot of that was just around spreading the word and educating and then enabling people to try out the hardware and our particular demos or, or, or products that, that we had created to get them to understand what else it could do and what the benefits could be but at the same time not overselling it not promising a magic bullet not being the answer to everything not necessarily replacing everything it, you know it's very complementary or very um, enhancing to existing experiences a lot of people are fearful of how you know, technology takes over or you know, kills off the previous and so you know a video killed a radio star you know, yeah. we still have radio we still have tv vr is not going to kill everything off um it's not going to kill off traditional theater it's not going to kill off um uh, other forms of, of of storytelling it's just a new way to 
experience stories and rather than just passively watching and seeing and listening to a story uh, evolve and unfold it's actually becoming part of the story and actually driving the story and potentially dictating part of the direction and the outcome of that story. You speak most passionately it seems to me about storytelling but when you you came to make media in 2013 mm. which kind of coincides with what you're saying about the when the first Oculus Rift appeared on the scene yeah and you came to do the BLSC project in Melbourne which is the building leadership simulation center indeed now, to my imagination that's quite dry and grown up mm -hmm. but still there must have been storytelling it so you're basically kind of revolutionizing the way the building industry works part of our remit for that was creating um, in using sort of older terminology of the 3d database uh, of the content that would go alongside the training scenarios um, but there's a storytelling and a narrative element to those scenarios because it's soft skills uh, as well as health and safety training that's not just mechanical training how to use a crane or a jib or a scissor lift pair of stairs or whatever you want to call them it's all about how to manage on-site contractors and dealing with problems between the sparky and the plumber or they're making too much noise and the hotel next door the guests are complaining how you placate the, the manager building out these stories and these scenarios of what could happen and go wrong uh, in a day-to-day -day role play of life on a construction site but also taking into consideration around that how issues around on-site incidents can be reduced and delays can be avoided but it's all wrapped up in a narrative uh, that makes it much more engaging and much more effective and their stats show they've had I think in excess of 150,000 people go through this centre it's something crazy like 90% of reduction of on-site incidents as a result of the training it's just an incredible uh, success really of a, of mm. a systemic way of working yeah that you, you kind of introduce into that setting and that setting isn't particularly sexy or adventurous or it's not a it's not, it's not a fancy role play game basically no but it is there is something there where you've captured imagination even though it's like a dry a work setting yeah but then just because it's dry to you or me doesn't mean it's not exciting and enthralling to others farming simulator is a very popular game that sells in its millions and is on its fourth or fifth maybe even sixth uh, uh, iteration you have to plot and manage your fields and you just sit there harvesting and growing crops which doesn't sound like a lot of fun to many people but then it's Farmville turned up to 11 really after deploying BLSC we got an Oculus Rift and we could see the potential of how immersive technology could benefit training and simulation, learning and development, onboarding, the empathic side of things, soft skills, and you know, of course, games as well. So we make the games, uh, Radio G and Loco Dojo being our first two titles, usually in collaboration with the platforms to be a release title for a bit of hardware, but it also gives us something we can publicly talk about now, as opposed to something which we can do a press release around 18 months after it's been deployed 
but because of the nature of the technology it moves so quick we may not necessarily want to make a big song and dance about having deployed something two years ago with old out-of-date technology. You're using the skills you developed pre this particular role to window dress a kind of more grown-up serious thing but still have the fun of making the games. Yeah and when I left Epic in 2004 they were pushing this concept of gamification of learning then. Um, I stepped away from the e-learning field for pretty much 10 years and then going back to my first e-learning technology conference all the talk and all all the bluster was around gamified training experiences so the sort of two sectors or verticals whatever you want to call them that I spent most of my time in complement each other because the research shows with the immersive technology the more senses that are engaged the deeper the, 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 the memories formed and the greater memory recall uh, but at the same time gamified training encourages and improves learner engagement and study because it rewards and sort of drives them on to the next part of the content and ultimately if what you're learning is fun then you're going to want to carry on learning as opposed to feeling that it's like a chore VR helps doing that with all the interactions but at the same time enables you to recreate environments failing safely essentially if you're doing it all in VR with stories and much more engaging and much more immersive then the training is going to be much more effective but at the same time it's going to be much more enjoyable much more appealing to the younger generations growing up with smartphones and internet and tablets etc ultimately a much better experience but as we say complement not replace yeah and in a way they can exist in separate spaces but often I bet you're using the same bits of thinking in both areas oh, yeah, very much so. and maybe the same actual toolkits as well yeah. building yeah I mean there are certain like user interfaces UX and usability there's elements which are still being refined and there's no clear patterns for, for VR we iterate and build upon um, our sort of toolkit of user interactions and mechanisms that we've been working on over the past four or five years uh, with each product and then from user testing we can see what does and doesn't work and what is and isn't usable. There's various design patterns and training and learning patterns that we can employ but then there's also just a whole lot that we're just investigating and exploring every time because traditional 2D design just doesn't fit and doesn't work and in terms of storytelling and narrative everyone always worries about if you can't control where the person's looking how can you control how the action happens yeah. it's like well you design around the viewer being the camera as opposed to dictating where they're looking and where, what the camera is showing them and there's a lot of hand wringing over it but I think there just needs to be a lot more experimentation and adoption really um, and less fear over replacing traditional forms Sam, you have one of the coolest job titles I think I know in the whole world, which is Head of Immersive Technologies. And to a more old school 
industrial person that might be quite an intimidating job title but because they don't quite know what it means are you spending a lot of time overcoming a kind of skepticism in industry yeah i mean firstly i can't succinctly tell you what my job role is (laughs) uh it's educating it's evangelizing but it's also exploring other words that don't always begin with e but um (laughs) it's you know production and project management stuff when I am in the studio there is a lot of sort of naysayers and not fear but just sort of uh, once bitten twice shy mentality especially in education so you know decades of spending or being coerced into spending vast amounts of money on new emerging technologies that end up sitting in a cupboard gathering dust not used uh, it's very easy for people to assume because of the overhype cycle around VR that this is just going to be another fad and it's going to disappear and it's a bubble that will burst within a couple of years. And I think, you know, yeah, you can make it a fad if you treat it like one. Similarly, people who say it's a gimmick or it's like 3D TV, if you use it in a gimmicky way, if you use it to create content that just gives you an immediate wow factor and it has no long-lasting impact, uh, if you can measure the impacts, which we can now do, and educational learning management systems are adapting from very simple standards called SCORM into emerging standards like XAPI, so we can track all the data of where people are looking, what oh, they're see. interacting yeah. with. Um, you can analyse in a much greater level of detail. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's a whole new code of ethics around that as well. Yep. Of how much data should be tracked, how is it stored, um, how does it fit in with GDPR, in light of Cambridge Analytica, you know, what do we do with the data, what other people could do with the data if it was available. But ultimately, we always focus on VR for good and VR for impact, so we want to ensure that that data is just useful to determine that when a student is looking at a 3D asset representation of let's say a consumer unit or a fuse box, you and me, Mm. we know that they've actually looked at each individual fuse to determine which one is the correct one to replace for this particular assessment criteria rather than just randomly choosing each one or they have actually read every word on an information panel. And we quite often see we have the motion controllers and you have a little laser pointer coming out. You can watch people read with their finger uh, in VR and they are pointing and reading the sentences. In a way it's it's a, a sidebar to the advance that we know we're having. If we're in yeah. VR we get this experience that is a, a new level of experience that can be when it's done well. Mm. But also there's all this other stuff that we aren't necessarily aware of as the, as the user of no, technology. No. For example when uh, we first started using uh, the HoloLens, which is the augmented reality device. So, whereas it's a headset, people can still see the real world through the visor, and then it augments content over the top of the real world. Yeah. They have uh, hand gestures for selecting an interaction, and the main one is called an air tap. So, you kind of make the shape like an L for loser, and then snap your finger down to your thumb together. Oh, so you're like kind of tapping in the air. Yeah, you're tapping yeah. in the air. air yeah. tap. Um, we're, we're both uh, miming it now. Yeah, or for older 80s fans, uh, you know, pretending to be Mr. Miyagi with a pair of chopsticks 
you know, yeah. catching flies. Yeah. Um, but I clash your head. Um, kids in the hall. Kids in the hall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I squish you. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I squish you. But what we found quickly is that you have to increase the area of the buttons that people are looking at and interacting with, because a lot of people, when they do that, they actually just nod the head very slightly, and then they actually sort of <laughs> move off the button. Yeah. Uh, so if you move the button down a bit, or if you think you artificially move the gaze up a little bit, then when they actually nod, they're then actually selecting it properly. So yeah. All of these things are just you just find out through experimentation. Yeah. But then the technology has been around for decades and there are some veterans who will poo-poo the current stage because they've seen it all before. If you look at some of what Jaron Lanier and the uh, VPL company were doing in the 90s, their data glove and their, their, their hand tracking and their input still far surpasses what we have today. Um, admittedly, the graphics were poor in, in, in comparison and high latency and very simple designs, but in terms of just natural hand-tracked glove, data glove input, uh, it's a lot more natural and allows for much more freedom than the controllers and the wands and the button-based things that we have today. But we know that all the money that's been sunk into investment is going back towards those levels of how can we have haptics and hand tracking with gloves or without gloves using machine learning and machine recognition rather than having having these terrifying looking devices that you strap your hand into that you know there's always software bugs and if something goes wrong is it just going to pull your hand back into positions it's not designed to do but then also the scales of VR from what I call VR light, sort of like Google Cardboard, yeah. um, or your Bud Light, to mobile VR, Gear VR, Daydream, which is sort of your uh, sort of average Cronenberg sort of level of virtual reality with three degrees of freedom, to the full-blown VR where you've got full movement, room scale, theatre scale now, yeah. your sort of finest Belgian Trappist monk's ale yeah. uh, VR. People have tried the lower level and they just assume that that's all that VR is. Yeah. They may have seen a 360 video and gone, eh, okay, that's interesting. They've held it up on a phone or a cardboard. They haven't been able to interact. Uh, it's been very Patrick Swayze, Ghost, you know, they're there, but they can't have any sort of interaction or, or, or impetus on the scene. They can't have any actual sort of agency. And then they just, they just dismiss VR as being, that's it, not interesting no good uh, so they're often harder to get into a full-blown VR setup but when you do then they become converts because then they realize it's so much more and there's so much more you can do with it do you think in that case that the low-end really cheap end of VR scaled too fast or do you think that's just a natural way that the market works it's got its uses and its purposes but um, it's just education really to enable people to understand that down there is very different from that up there Yeah. Um, on the scale. I've had several absolutely transformative VR experiences mm. because because I don't have any kind of system at home they've all involved going and finding out yeah. so when the skiff first got hold of uh, Oculus Rift mm. went and played with it there and that was transformative and um, this 
program is tied in with the old market yeah. where Tom Tech's been doing great work on bringing the kind of higher end mm. and getting it out to normal people. Yeah. And for me, that felt much better way of realizing it existed. Yeah, I mean, location, it now has a name. It's location-based experience or location-based entertainment. Yep. Um, LBE VR. Certainly in the short term, a very strong case for a successful sort of business model and mechanism to get people to try VR. The issue of people not having as enough space at home for VR to have a dedicated setup or room or whatever, that's never going to go away because houses aren't suddenly going to get bigger. The systems for tracking moving around in VR are going to be easier. You're not going to have to have the sensors. You know, there's now headsets, standalone headsets with cameras that do the inside-out tracking, so you don't need extra cables and boxes and gubbins all set up everywhere. And the cables are going, so you're not going to be tripping over, falling through your coffee table or anything yeah. like that. But at the same time, there's like a VR arcade where you can go and experience content that is available at home but with the convenience of not having to have the setup yeah um, but then you can actually people are creating dedicated VR installations for entertainment um, and experiential side of things where you can only go to that place to experience it um, such as the Star Wars Secrets of the Empire Void experience. These are unique one-off immersive yeah. And spaces, you have to go yeah. to that location to experience it, much yeah. like you have to go to whatever theatre it is in London showing Wicked or yeah. um, Hamilton yeah. or you have to go to Tom Tech for Marshmallow Laser Feast installation. That is a specific site-specific thing. At the time, yeah. yeah. But then that's just because people are still exploring and the funding is still fairly uh, small scale to understand how that could be set about for a wider adoption. Yeah. But then audiences of the future, 33 million fund from the government to put Britain at the heart of you know, the creative sector uh, globally is the, you know, very much to create experiences that can be deployed at multiple venues at the same time to increase the range and the impact um, and the numbers of people trying it. Yeah. If you don't mind doing some predictive nonsense, I'd love to ask where you think this goes next and where you want it to go next. Well, I'm very much a believer of the positive use cases. I think we've been fed and suckled on the narrative teat far too many times That's of the dystopian enough. VR, dark oh, yeah, sci-fi, yeah. um, we're going to have you know hundreds of thousands of AR adverts flying around our head and being harassed by avatars wherever we go on a virtual land, uh, virtual worlds, dismissing what's happening in the real world and using it as escapism to get away from the terrible uh, political climates, etc. I mean, current political climate is, you know, somewhat encouraging to go and do that. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah, I'd like to see it continue being a force for good and a, a, a beneficial technology. There's a lot of barriers and there's a lot of issues to fix in terms of how social VR works. 
is it human nature that needs to change because you look at the internet and trolls and gaslighting and all these various uh, antisocial uh, behaviours online that some people take on because of uh, uh, supposed anonymity um, is that going to carry on into VR and social spaces um, but we need the tools and the mechanisms to allow us to enjoy this brave beautiful new world without fear of just replicating all the shit from the current one and also the people whose instinct is to blame the new platform so there is that problem with any of these new well of course it's the new platform it's the new reason detra why uh, kids aren't going out or why they aren't uh, uh, socially aligned to previous thinking uh, why they aren't buying houses or etc etc newspapers had it the cinema had it radio had it tv had it games have had it it's inevitable really it's inevitable yeah any new technology usually you know the people with the money invested in the previous one are going to be the ones pushing to suggest that this new technology isn't so great and it's really bad but the newspapers hate twitter yeah and online publishing and you know the old giants games companies where i've worked before you know they get very large and they are essentially a super tanker and it takes a long time to turn a super tanker around yeah. when a nimble indie little startup who has much more maneuverability can change direction very quickly um, and take advantage of current trends. Whereas the dinosaur with the money uh, is going to struggle, but at the same time not appreciate what the options are and what's beyond over the horizon. Yeah. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. But ultimately, technology is going to get smaller, lighter, faster, um, more effective in terms of, I think, unifying. I've uh, got quite a wide range of headsets available at the moment. Yeah. Um, everybody's wanting to stake their claim and grab their market share um, thankfully a lot of the tools available allow us to create content that supports all of them um, so we don't have to worry about specific engines for each and every headset you know we're at the sort of 80s brick phone stage of VR headsets um, and we've still got a number of years to go before we're at you know the iPhone 3GS smartphone revolution mass adoption side of things and then that's the other thing as well you know it's why be an early adopter if it's always going to be changing but at the same time if you don't adopt and get on board now you're just going to be left behind and then you will be the print publishing companies who are struggling to understand the internet and online media and marketing etc it's a learning thing isn't it it's if you're in the right space with the right learning mm. at the right time even if we plod along in a thin if we put ourselves with the right learning in that space, we are still given a huge advantage over the people that have been ignoring it, yeah. wait, waiting for something to happen. Yeah, but then also, just to be open and encouraging, it's not to be snobbish and to say, mm. oh, well, you know, elitist about things. Of this is my thing. I've you know watched it grow, and yeah. now you're just coming on board five years later. You know, we need to be adopting and embracing 
everyone to the technology because we're not going to help adoption and it reach mass market if we become protectionist of it. Going back to you know, sort of wider adoption and storytelling and narrative is we need to understand better how to install it and how to deploy it and how to make it more of an experience beyond just the experience you have in the headset. Um, the void is the only thing I've come close to really is the excitement of booking the ticket and getting a time slot and traveling there and getting to the venue. All of that encompasses a traditional real world entertainment experience. The whole experience of before, during and after. Yeah, which is timeless, which has been going on for a thousand years. By using that framework and creating that kind of formal process that you have to go through, an old theatre process really, isn't it? Yeah. You're going to the theatre, but tying it to this technology, mm. both benefit. And it helps it become less scary or yeah. technical because ultimately the technology has to disappear and it's just another means to enjoy the experience. I think like with all things, you know, there is a time and a place for all forms of entertainment um, and all stories and narratives have ways of being told better or more meaningfully uh, in one medium over another. Um, and there's always going to be people who prefer a book over a film or a film over a book or um, a play or an opera or whatever. But it depends how long, how far we're talking. Now, if we look at Ready Player One, where everyone goes into the Oasis, uh, which is 2049, okay, it was written a number of years ago. Um, it could have been updated and adapted accordingly by Spielberg. But the future depicted in terms of the technology isn't that far off what we have now. If by 2049 or 48, whenever it was set, if we're still using that kind of technology, I'll be quite disappointed. Yeah, it's actually quite a conservative idea of yeah. where we get to, yeah. Um, but it's more depressing than the fact that it just conveys a single environment controlled by one corporation and only focusing on the gaming, although the book does focus on education purposes as well. The stories are still fairly there's a bit of you make your own stories but the rest is still fairly derivative and it's gaming and it's mostly shooting and hopefully it's not going to be like that yeah. there'll be much more of a open web free user customization and creation as opposed to from a preset of brand representations but then I used to work for MMO companies and um, they lost a lawsuit against a large comics company uh, because the character creation tool allowed you to create any superhero you wanted but the average imagination stretched as far as superheroes that they had seen in comics and wanted to be. So we had to employ a whole team of people purely just to hunt down and change the names of the Batman, Hulk, man or whatever, um, or characters that could be made to look like well-represented uh, superheroes or well-known superheroes, 
um, to randomise a character and to change their name to generic superhero 196 or something like that purely because uh, that was the outcome of the lawsuit the judge did at least vote in the company's favour at the time saying that if he'd given it entirely to the comic book company saying that this character creation tool can't exist or would have to be severely crippled uh, he likened it to having to outlaw the pencil yeah in case people drew something that looked like the Mona Lisa yeah yeah those kind of things well they make me annoyed but uh, mm. they're ridiculous because that shows what you describe as a limitation that isn't a real limitation no so you, someone's created a tool that actually is a really imaginative brilliant tool that people can use yeah the limitation is between the chair and the keyboard yeah yeah is there stuff you're working on at the moment that's not gaming that you can talk about? Um, so <laughs> you're allowed to just say no. <laughs> there are things I can't talk about. Yeah. There's a very large device as soon as you come in that I should have a cloth over, really, because um, <laughs> it's quite large and prominent. But uh, we can't talk about any of that. I'll make an extra special care to look at it mm. really carefully on the way out. There's some. Um, projects that we've deployed recently that have enabled other companies to successfully win very large bids for work um, which we can't talk about uh, but we can talk about um, completing some working at height awareness VR experience for Vodafone cool. we created a sort of demonstrator experience um, that got a variety of stakeholders on board and it's not necessarily training the people who do the job of climbing up mobile phone mast how to do the job or how to do it safely it's how to raise awareness of what that job entails uh, amongst the bosses and the upper management and other departments so that everyone is aware and more considered um, of just how scary it is and how difficult and how tough and what safety equipment is needed and how tiresome it can be to do you know more than 10 a day or something like that that's no. an empathy engine yeah and that's what the arts are so you've almost cut right into the heart of what the arts are which is that you created a thing that yes probably can have useful things in maybe training people mm. but really what you're doing is creating empathy from one area of the company to yeah. the people that are on the coalface where we're climbing yeah. up the thing. When you say, like, VR for good, mm. for me, that's amazing. That's proper good. Yeah. They, I assume they get challenged to have a go on it and suddenly they're like, oh my God, I'm mm. really high up. Yeah. I've got to be here for like four hours. And especially uh, people who try it with a fair amount of testosterone. Yeah. Uh, we've done a lot of construction events um, where... A variety of people have come and tried it and they're like yeah whatever you know it's not real and it's not gonna make me scared and then they get frozen and they lock up halfway oh, up this wow. virtual pole even though they know they're standing in Olympia and we've had to prize the controllers out of their hands and help them out of the headset just because they've suddenly discovered their vertigo and they've just absolutely frozen on the spot but the difficult thing for me is because I am interested in the technology and because of our training and simulation background everything for us has to be running 
at absolute peak performance um, and a lot of the representation has to be as accurate as possible I have to let that go to just be able to enjoy more experiential content and forgive the occasional drop frame um, or loss of tracking um, and just appreciate that other people are actually wanting to use the technology to create content and exploring the limits of what can and can't be done. That's a really good point as well, that you are working at a certain level, but a lot of the, particularly the art content or the kind of entertainment content that is more artistic rather than just games, mm -hmm. is produced by outsiders and kind of indie, DIY, bootstrapped yeah. groups or individuals. Almost to enjoy that, you'd have to switch something off. Yeah, but then it's the same. I imagine if people who you know done film studies at university, yeah. then they probably can't watch a film without pulling it apart and critiquing yeah. angles, lighting shots, etc. I don't actually try a lot of VR in public. Yeah, I try a lot of VR hardware, but I do need to ensure I be able to take time out to try other experiences and keep up with what else is going on yeah at the moment all my time I just want to play Beat Saber yeah uh, which is lightsabers mixed with Guitar Hero yeah and yeah, it's just an absolutely fantastic experience have you got that at home? I've got it at home I've got it in the office <laughs> you're, you're just doing that that's yeah. what I was going to yeah. say what are you working on at the moment? research uh, yeah. 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 Um strangely all of our future things will involve lightsabers and yeah. slicing things in two um, but then we're looking at um, soft skills training as well, so heat maps of where you're looking, where your attention is, to determine how that can be more effective training uh, for one-to-one -one social uh, skills and um, Im improving, you know, sort of communication between managers or between team members. And we're getting to the stage where it's the representation of the human form in VR. It's quite unnerving having somebody eyes or head or gaze or bodily follow you around in VR when you know it's not a real person it's more unnerving when you know it's a real person but there's always that uncanny valley level although we haven't quite got to the level where the Google Assistant can convincingly <laughs> phone up and book a hair, a hair appointment for you no. I expect the avatar visual representation to uh, become much more widely used and much more widely capable uh, to deliver that one-to-one -one or one-to-many sort of engaging interactions uh, that you would expect more from traditional theatre and a bit less robotic and sort of gamey uh, NPC style. Yeah. There are a lot of fans of very cutting-edge, interesting art out there who are at the same time very conservative about what they choose. Mm. Thank you very much. It's really fantastic. So I really appreciate it. It's That's really right. nice to talk to you. So that was Chris's interview with Sam Watts of Make Real. Uh, inevitably you'll want to find him and stalk him out on the Twitter sphere. You can find him at VR underscore Sam. Now he's a top tip to follow. He's the 12th most influential voice in VR in the entire world. So he's worth following. He's always posting interesting stuff. You can follow the company at Make Real VR. 
It's amazing that he's so influential but kind of a calm, nice guy, isn't it? He doesn't have that kind of uh, rock star VR person ego about him. I think we're bigging him up a little bit too much here. He is also the Croydon cat killer. So, oh, okay. You know, not everything's as good the as... Croy <laughs> he's the Croydon <laughs> cat killer. Oh, God. That's like how those really horrible fake news things start <laughs> yes. around the world. Like, someone will go and like stab him because they think that he killed their cat. Yeah. And it will be our fault. Okay, Sam is not the Croydon cat killer. That's it for this week, Chris. We'll be back next week or the week after. Are we fortnightly? We're going to just shove out a few episodes. Just drop drop like that. So, the best thing to do is subscribe wherever you're listening to this mm -hmm. and listen to us and let us drop into your inbox every so often. There'll definitely be another episode next week. Although normally this podcast is fortnightly. Thank you ever so much for listening. It's really nice to have you on board. If you've got any comments or you want to get in touch, how does our lovely listener get in touch, James? So you can follow us at TomTech underscore. Use the hashtag StoryHacker. What's at the end, Chris? An XR. It's got an XR at the end. StoryHackster. StoryHackster. Uh, <laughs> right. Do follow us on Twitter um, and also we're open for suggestions. If you've got a project to sell, if you've got a thing you want to talk about, you think this is all rubbish and we shouldn't be looking at this sort of stuff, all of those conversations should be had. So the day this lands on Thursday, we're just about to go into VR Lab. It runs this year from the 4th to 7th of October and the idea is to bring together 25 different VR experiences, not just from the arts, also from journalism and film and music really looking at what's possible here. Some of the work won't be finished and you'll sort of meet makers who are making stuff in R&D mode. Other stuff is really well polished and final pieces. So we've got things like Image and Heat performing in an immersive way. We've got a cinema going on. So lots of lots of stuff. Uh, if you listen to this podcast quick and your fans coming down, it's on 4th to 7th of October. You can find tickets at theoldmarket.com. That's theoldmarket.com. Theoldmarket.com. Oh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. It's nice to see you, James. Take care. You too, Chris. Bye. Bye.